All right, so check this out. I had to, <laughs> I had to stop and get gas on the way here mm-hmm. because I forgot that Brad's office is in California, <laughs> <laughs> almost Arizona. <laughs> like, like honestly, like, like I had no, I, I forgot. I hadn't been here in six months. I don't remember the last time I was here. But anyway, August first, remember? It was. It was August first. That was six our, months ago. Yeah, right? our first episode. Yeah. I forgot about that. That's right. Yep. So anyway, I stopped to get gas at uh, the Shell station up by my house, and I hear this really loud car come by. Like it sounds like a like an airplane driving by, mm. and it's a guy in an orange Lamborghini. And I just kind of roll my eyes and look at the guy behind me, and say, "Man, it's not enough that the dude has a really nice, expensive Lamborghini sports car. He has to paint it orange." So that we all notice him. And make it super loud. And make it super loud. And I kind of rolled my eyes. I'm like, dude, what a douchebag. <laughs> Just like that. So I walk out to my car to put my gas. And the guy I was talking to walked out to his car. And it was a souped up orange Camaro. He gets in his car. And I'm just pretending like to not see him. You know? Like I turned kind of awkwardly my backs to him so he doesn't see me. But that literally happened just an hour ago. So, If you're a man that controls his own destiny, a man that is always in the pursuit of being better, you are in the right place. You are responsible. You are strong. You are a leader. You are a force for good. Gentlemen, you are the Alpha, and this is the Alpha Quorum. Anyway, hey, listen, um, this is the first time we've been together in a month. A month. It's been four weeks. The last time we got together was the night the uh, New England Patriots uh, beat the uh, Kansas City Chiefs in overtime to qualify for the Super Bowl. Yeah, the Chiefs were up. I admit the Chiefs were up. Brett, why are you texting me in the middle of this? Me? I just got it. Oh, no, never mind. Oh, no, that was from my dad. My dad's texting me. Do you want to hear something funny? I'm not even sure my dad knows I do a podcast. I talked (laughs) to my dad. (laughs) Either he knows... And he doesn't want me to know that he knows. Or I told him I was going to do one. I talked to him, you know, when we started this six months ago. I said, yeah, I'm going to start doing podcasting again. And I think he was afraid I was going to quit my job and just do podcasting (laughs) full time. (laughs) We need to have a talk, son. (laughs) There are 30 episodes in, hours and hours of content. I don't know if my dad knows that I'm going to do We need to get him on the podcast. Yeah, we do. We We used to do a bit when I was on the radio 10 years ago where um, it was called what would Derek's dad do and people would call in with their problems and then we'd call my dad and say hey wh- wh- what, what do you do think? and That's nobody awesome. knew his name yeah his the character's name was Derek's dad and people would just call in and it was the problem was is it it was you never knew what you were going to get you know what I'm saying so mm. we didn't have the kind of budget or the kind of operation where you could screen callers and set them up right. and coach them and things like that you just had crazy random whoever got you on the phone so so hey listen what are we going to talk about tonight brad i saw you did some show prep you gave us some notes this is actually we don't have the whiteboard in front of us and we don't have Funt. oh by the way we got to give a uh, a pass to Funt and and uh, taco mike to my, tonight taco mike is actually in spain right now spain or italy he was in italy oh now he's in spain and now he's in spain dang so, mike got it like that have you ever been to spain before nope Jeremy? Nope. I've been to Spain. 
I went to Spain when I was 18 years old, and I was lost in Spain for two days by myself. All right, we got an hour. What are we All doing right, here? So anyway, so you know, you gave us some notes, and the one thing on top. And I think this is really interesting because it's a trap that I fall into all the time and it's being proactive versus reactive. And I imagine that in your line of work, especially you guys, um, Jeremy and Brad, um, you're probably teaching people to be proactive and not reactive. I mean, that's got to be 90% of your job is teaching people to kind of take a breath, take a beat and organize their thoughts so that their actions don't put them into trouble. Is that, am I, again, I, the only experience I yeah, have so many, therapy is so, my own. So many people see themselves as a victim and they, and they're, and they feel like they're just rea- And I've done this myself where you the excuse is I'm just reacting to what's happening. And so pro, so reaction is happening after the fact being proactive really is about preparing and setting yourself up for some success before things go down what jeremy were you gonna say something no i'm with you that's that is a lot of my work and it's really like a lot of training into being proactive versus reactive reactive always gets you in trouble proactivity is that mindful state like what brad's saying prepare for it because there is crap that's going to happen right but also being aware in the moment of what's going on in your mind so that you can choose a reaction rather than do you have a difficult time? I, I know that because I went to after I got divorced the first time, I was in therapy for a long time, like years, two or three different therapists. Not that they were bad guys. It was more a, a, um, a function of me moving to other places and having to find a new therapist there. Mm-hmm. But it took me a long time for me to realize that I wasn't a victim because I saw myself as a victim. I didn't want the divorce. I begged not to have the divorce. I blamed my x for the divorce my question to you is it took me years to kind of figure out that i wasn't the victim that this is all on some level this was all my creation i had done this i this was a manifestation of my own behavior how do you when you're working with your clients your your i mean how do you get them to see themselves as not a victim especially when they are a victim i mean some of the i'm sure you deal with people that have dealt with some really traumatic stuff and how do you get them to see, to empower themselves, to not be a victim, to not feel like they have no control in their life? I think maybe just what pops in my head is I, I, I can be victimized and choose not to be a victim, right? Like bad things can happen to me and I can choose how that affects me. Um, so that's, I think a lot of what the work with clients is the psychoeducation, just helping them to understand how much power they have. One of my favorite things to ask somebody uh, when we start this type of process and this type type of, of work together is, you know, just think of anything that you can think of. Just pick anything you want and um, try to find something in this world that you can think of that wasn't created or didn't start with somebody's thought, right? Nothing in this world started but by thought, right? And so then we talk a lot about in that psychoeducation about how our thoughts are very, very we have a lot of creative power in our thoughts and you talked about manifesting and, and so what kind of world are they creating for themselves based on their thoughts? By the way, I have no idea what that word manifesting means. I hear it thrown around a lot. <laughs> I just explained it to you. <laughs> okay. So ma- manifesting is thoughts. It's creative power. Okay. Right? Like your, your thoughts create. 
And would you say that we, whether we know it or not, whether we're conscious of it or not, we're manif- we're manifesting one hundred percent of the time. time, all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 the, not making a decision is a decision, right? Sure. Right. So we're always causing some type of ripple in our world that's having an effect on us, whether we see that or not. I remember having this moment. Um, I don't know if this was before, during, or after my 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 therapy. Um, but I remember having this moment where um, it occurred to me, I finally realized that it was all my fault, all of it. didn't matter what I was, it was I, I had created all of it. And I remember thinking, oh man, if, I, if, if I'm the one that broke it, then I have the power to fix it. And for me, that was the moment where I, like a, a switch, but it took years for me to get there to where I was like, oh man, I can do this. I'm not a victim anymore. There's a, there, was, there was a switch that flipped in me that realized I broke it, I can fix it. But it, it took a long time. My question is, how do you, I mean, what are some strategies that you give your patients, your, your clients, what are some strategies you can give them that will get them to throw that switch sooner? So practicing, and I preach this a lot, but practicing mindfulness is probably the number one thing I can recommend. Um, it forces you to slow down. It forces you to think about what's going on. One of my favorite things to teach, especially like young kids, because um, then we get some training done early, is I use the acronym STAR, S-T-A-R. Uh, stop, take a deep breath, assess the situation, and then respond. Right? If I can get them to start doing that with more decisions in their life or slowing them down and thinking about, okay, I'm about to make a decision or I'm not going to make a decision, which is a decision. But like, instead of choosing what I want, I want to choose my consequence instead. Right? Just helping people wait, be wait, mindful. Say that again. So rather than cho- making a choice, ch- instead of choosing a, an, uh, uh, A or B, choose the consequence of A or B. Right? Don't worry about A or B. Choose what consequence you want. And then do A or B based on that answer. And if, if, just helping people slow down and just really get mindful of what's going on with them. I think that's the key to being give me, proactive. Give, that's, a really, that's really interesting what you said. So think of a consequence that you want and make a decision to create that consequence. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So like, so a, give, give me an example of, I mean, don't use names obviously, yeah, but, but something you've done in, the, in your practice, in your life or something, because that, that, that's brilliant. To look at that way, like to think one or two steps ahead, but give me an example where you've helped somebody. So let's just say I'm working with with a husband and a wife and the husband. um, Well, let's just say they're let's let's do parenting. That's that's probably the easiest one there. They're they're working. Parenting's really easy. (laughs) (laughs) Like awesome. Easiest example. (laughs) They've got a a rebellious teenager. Okay. And they're constantly having to take this teenager's power away. Right, so one, if I can help the teenager understand that his power is being taken away, that's a helpful, helpful thing. But two, if I can start helping that that teenager understand, okay, um, I can go out tonight and drink with my friends, right? Which is usually with these teenagers I work with, which happens more often than parents want to realize them going out and doing things outside of their value system. Let's let's say that. So the teenager can reactively go do that, but then the consequence of that is. Loss of trust with the parents, uh, possible trouble with the law, um, you know, if they're drinking or getting high, possible motor vehicle accident, somebody gets hurt, right? Um, 
But if I slow myself down and I can help that, un- that or if I slow that teenager down and help him, help him understand, you know, the consequences of, of going out and doing things outside of his value system with his friends or going out and maintaining his values with his friends, if I can get him slow enough and get him to, to start thinking about the consequences of those behaviors rather than just I want to go out and have fun with my friends – he will make a better choice. Well, but it, it could also be a function of he wants to, I mean, we've all been teenagers before and we all want to assert our independence from our parents on some level. And maybe what you do is show the teenager, the kid powers being taken away. At that. Well, or a more productive way of doing it. Something that doesn't challenge his values or something that doesn't compromise his values, but teach him another way that he can be independent, but he's also, helping himself out he's putting himself in a different position because i don't necessarily believe the boy want or i mean we're saying boy but in this case i'm not i don't think this kid necessarily wants to go out there and get drunk or get high or something like that he wants to be independent of his he wants to be like an independent he wants autonomy he, exactly yeah that is the way he's choosing to do it and and he if he can you're right, and if he can, well, there are the few instances I have where they actually do. They they want to go out and drink. They don't think there's anything wrong with it, which is fine, right? I'm not going to sit here and assert my values on that person. Right, there's nothing wrong with having a beer. But I mean. if he <laughs> if he goes out and can start thinking about the consequences of his decisions, he's going to be set up for like I just need to get him slow enough to start thinking about his consequences, not the decisions, the consequences of the decision. How successful are you? Because <laughs> I'm looking at it like, that's the hardest damn job in the world to get a teenager to think about what he's doing instead of constantly reacting. I just got to, I really got to slow him down. And really the, the kicker is if with the teen, I work with lots of teenagers. If I can get them, if I can just pound into their brain that every decision they make is either moving them closer to autonomy from their parents or further away and closer to more power with their parents or further away. And, and that's only half the equation. When I'm working with a teenager, half of what I'm doing is parenting training. Sure. Right? I'm working with sure. parents too. But the Which second... Is, I think it's funny that you're teaching parents how to parent teenagers. I don't kids have a are teenager. Like nine I, have a, well, I have a 13-year-old. Oh, okay. All right. I understand. <laughs> I don't need my heart surgeon to have had a heart attack to treat me, right? Like... It helps if they have not. Fair enough. <laughs> right. So <laughs> if if they if I can get the parent to understand how to give power in an appropriate way, because a lot of times there's the helicopter parents or even worse, the lawnmower parents where they're just right on top of them all the time. Right. Instead of letting them fail, letting them feel consequences. Um, but if I can help that teenager understand, like, look, you can go out and do that, but then you're just handing your power to your parents. Uh-huh. The second they understand that, and it's almost like I can teach them how to hack their parents in a positive way, sure. positively manipulate their parents. They, they, they start turning around really easily. They just got to grasp that concept. Right. Do you have any experience working with teenage? I mean, other than, I know you have teenagers, by the way, I saw that you're, is it Jackson? Yeah. I saw him got into the symphony. Good yeah, for yeah. That's coming up here. And have you ever been to that concert? Yeah, that's awesome. So that, that's cool. amazing. It's, it's, if you're in Las Vegas talented. and you get, What's it called? The Zion's, Zion's Youth, Youth Symphony. Yeah, if you're in Las Vegas and you have an opportunity to go to the Zion's Youth Symphony and Chorus, I remember the first like time my... What? It's like five bucks. It's totally worth Why it. Why don't you just show up and tell them you're not a... Tell me, you're like, you're thinking about this Jesus guy. I think he's great. <laughs> What's your success rate? Because I get what you're saying, and I also feel like it's a fool's errand in some ways to get these teenagers to think about Consequences. The, the consequences of their actions. So here's the thing. I w- I'm going to say a 100% success rate 
only if so I don't have a hundred percent success rate, but there can be a hundred percent success rate if I can get the parents to let their kid fail. If I can let the parents get the parents to let their kid feel the consequences, uh, then the kid will start understanding and, man- and and figuring out and managing consequences rather than decisions. Do you feel behaviors. like this whole phenomenon of helicopter parenting? Do you think this is something that's recent or? Yes, you do. I think I think because I'm 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 in some respects a helicopter parent, you know, with my daughter, but she's seven, you know. I think we have we have these parents, these millennials that are now becoming parents, uh-huh. right? And so we have these special. I hate that term, special snowflake, because I'm a millennial, right? And yeah. I'm not a special snowflake, but I'm not on the top end of the millennial spectrum. But at, like we have these parents who are raised in this. Don't offend anybody. Don't do this. Don't do this. They were really sheltered and protected and put in a bubble. Right. We've got these people having kids now, right? So their kids are and are they're trying to give their kids. It's just this weird phenomenon. I'm expecting a pendulum swing in the complete opposite direction next next generation. What do you mean by that? We have these kids who are being helicopter parented, right? And so they're resenting that, and they're going to become the exact opposite with their kids. So it's it's, we're going to go back to the 70s. The free range parenting, which is Uh great. I I mean, there's a healthy balance in there, right? Right. But you got to let your kid feel the consequences. You have to. You cannot. if, If you do not, you will always have a reactive kid rather than a proactive kid. And you will always be a reactive parent rather than a proactive parent. So you think that you think that because I hadn't, I hadn't considered this, you think this phenomenon of having a generation of kids that are completely reactive that don't know how to manage themselves or their emotions, you believe your position is it is a byproduct of this phenomenon of helicopter parenting. Yeah, okay. I, I really feel like the helicopter parenting is just it's taking a, it's taking away any it's really just protecting these kids from consequences. Do you think that the helicopter parenting, though, is because this is the first time ever, like in recorded history, we know where everybody is, we know where what everybody is doing, we know what everybody is saying. There, there's no way these days that you can be blissfully ignorant. I know when my neighbors are in Mexico. I know when my parents, <laughs> I know when my, you know, people in my church are having a better vacation than me. I know, you know what I'm saying? We know right. everything about everybody and there's so much information that's coming at us at a very rapid rate. It's impossible for us to think that no news is good news. You know, I, I think you, you you're know what right. I'm saying? Like, I mean, uh, on a, on a, on a, on a, on a, on a scale, you're right. You can't. We cannot eliminate that variable. Because honestly, I, and I would never admit this to Mrs. Johnson, and I'm pretty sure she doesn't listen to the show anymore. But if I do not see my daughter walk into the house where she's going, I've automatically assumed that human traffickers have jumped out of the bushes and taken her. So, like, but, <laughs> you know, like I have to see her go in there. You're you're right about the technology, but then that's also only part of it because you got to think about the 50s. Where we are very, I think we are somewhat close to the whole helicopter parenting. The values were different, right? And you've got the fifty, the forties, and the fifties of these parents that are just really, really strict. And I, don't, I hate to say it that way, but you, I think we all kind of comprehend the culture of the late forties, early fifties, and then we look at the late sixties, early seventies. Those kids, the kids that were raised in the late forties, early fifties, are having kids, and then we have the hippies, right? It's, it's kind of like this pattern we keep seeing. See, you've seen the movie, like the movie It, or the movie, or the show Stranger Things, where the kids are just rolling around town on their bikes. Which those are the kids of the hippies. 
Well, that's that was my generation. Right? I mean, if you watch. You watch Stranger Things on yeah, Netflix? Yeah. Have you watched it? Yeah, that's a great so you, show. So that is, I think, one of the reasons why that show connected with people. Number one, it's a good show. But number two, it was they captured that moment in time and what it was like to be 10 years old at that time, rolling on your bikes, staying out all day. Leaving in the morning, getting home when the lights turned on. It, exactly. That was my that was my childhood. Like my... And I grew up in a small that town like that. Too. That was mine too. But so then you have that generation raised like that. And when you look at it from a, a perspective of somebody who works with like people in therapy, there is a lot of, I, I had it good. I'm not saying I didn't, but there's a lot of people who have some resentments and some, they feel like, like the, the parenting wasn't, I, I really hate to say it this way, but it wasn't to the level that maybe they expected or they needed in that moment. And so then we create the special snowflakes who just overparent. Does that make sense? We kind of always swing back and forth between the so, overparenting. So versus you're think, so what you're telling us is this generation of the snowflakes that are starting that or will be starting to have kids here in the next five or ten years. Well, we already are. I've got a 13 year old, and I'm a snowflake. You're a snowflake. I'm 30. 1982. 1981 is the beginning of a millennial generation. Oh really? I thought it was somebody that was. I didn't. I didn't know it was that. Eight. I think it's like eighteen to thirty-seven are the millennials right 18 now. Eighteen to thirty-seven. What are we then, Brad? What are you, I'm, we're Gen X. I'm Gen X. Gen X. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we're the Stranger Things generation. Yeah. That's it. Okay. So you're you're a millennial. I didn't yeah. know that it went like that. Yeah. So the next generation, when the kids kind of go back to free-range parenting, what's that going to look like though in an information age? Because I mean, hot mess. It is. It's going to be a disaster because every everybody else is going to know what's going on with your kids before you do. I, I, I mean, how do you allow your kids? I mean, think about it this way. How do you allow your kids to fail in a world where your failures are out there memorialized on the internet forever? Can you imagine 15 years from now, somebody running for president, for president we're going to have their entire social media... History. Well, I kind of think that at that point we're not going to carry more. I honestly believe that the information that the the information age is going to create a, a circumstance where we're going to know every bad thing about everybody, and nobody's going to give a crap. There's going to be so much information out there that you don't even know what to focus on. Because if you look at it, look at it from the from the point of Trump, it's all out there. He's leaned into everything. He's not denied. He hasn't necessarily affirmed. All of the bad things that he said or, you know, I mean, think about all the things he said on the radio, whether it be right, Howard Stern right. or The Apprentice or, you know, they grab him by the, you know, you know yep. what? I mean, we are past the point where any of that stuff is going to matter in a presidential race. I mean, it it's going to matter in that if you don't, if you don't uh, toe the ideological line with right. what the media is saying, then you might get tuned up more than the next guy. But think about it. It's all out there. Do you really care at this point? And I don't think that's a bad thing, by the way. I don't no. think it's a bad thing that we don't have secrets anymore, because then those secrets can't th those secrets can't eat away at you it like can't the cancer. Can't be held against you either. Yeah, it can't be held against you. Everybody's crap is out there. Well, and I think you're right with the kids coming up with these upcoming, let's call them free range parenting and the the internet. And I don't know about you, Brad, but. Um, how do you feel about that? Like you've got kids, you got a kid older than I, I do like 
I, I like that you brought Brad in because I've been trying to bring Brad. him in there. And then Brad's I start, and then, and then, and then I, then I, then I start talking again. I've been talking over Brad for like 10 minutes. Brad now. has, I have to prepare my head for what we're going to be talking about. We're so <laughs> off what I, we, I had poetry got so ready. much sideways I, from I what's on the paper. I was going to sing tonight. I, I had a dance ready. Uh, we're way off but here. You have, you have kids and teenagers. Like you got to think like you, I'm, I get the sense that you're not a helicopter parent. Right, I think no. maybe we all are a little. Teeny I'm the bit. guy who, if my two year old doesn't want to wear his jacket, whatever, I let him not. Natural go consequences. His yes, I love it. So my my wife's from Chicago, and she's always kind of feels like if your if your kid is seen outside without a jacket, you look like a bad parent. So we're gonna make this kid wear his jacket, and a lot of people are that way. I'm not picking on her, but I'm I'm the type that's like, okay, no biggie. Oh no, in our culture, for sure, like you don't wear a tie to church or your kid doesn't go to church like we have to like get in line everyone has to look pretty and perfect and if you're not what are they going to think of us right that's not I, what they're saying but that's what they're feeling yeah you know what people are thinking about us nothing nope so we're having a conversation about how you're not a helicopter parent you're not i just and don't you've got sons well, which well, makes it easier right i I, th- I just think i refuse to let what they're doing reflect on me and i think that's why a lot of parents are the helicopter parent that's and all it. that they believe that this is a reflection of them and it's a and it identifies them with some you know, right or wrong method of parenting. And I just don't, I don't really care. I, I, don't, I want them to feel the, the pride in what they're doing or the satisfaction of their successes or the hurt in their failures or whatever. I yes. want it to be, I want it to be their problem. I want to share the control with them. And we we're talking earlier about um, control. One of the things I like with that is I, I talk about, I don't know if it's irony or paradox, but the I call it, I've been calling it the paradox of control. I don't know if that's the right term. But if you don't follow the things you're supposed to be doing, if you're driving around with weed in your pocket and you're go, going too fast and you're not wearing your seatbelt, you believe that you're being independent and that you have the control. Right. But you don't. At that point, you're giving all that away, all that control away to the police who can take your car and put you in jail and those kind of things. If you surrender your control, you often have a lot more of that to, you know, if you drive with your blinkers on, you know, if you if you obey all of the laws that you're supposed to do, do your things your parents are asking you to do, do what your boss wants you to do, you're really giving your control away, but you maintain it at the same time. Is that paradox? Is that the right yeah, word for no, that? No, no, rules keep us safe and rules give us freedom. There's no question about it. I'm a yeah. big, for a guy that kind of pops off and says crappy things, I'm a big rules guy because there's, you know, if you stay within the rules, there are certain things you don't have to worry about. For instance, I don't speed ever. If I know the speed limit, and I'm, especially if I'm on the freeway, I just set my cruise control at whatever the speed limit is and I drive. And that way, if I see a highway patrolman on the side of the road or no coming anxiety. up, I have no anxiety. I know I'm not speeding. And you've got all the power there. See, you could drive by and wave and be happy. Exactly. That you're, like, you know what you're doing. You have the control, but you're submitting. You're doing it in submission, but yet you maintain the control. Well, think about how reactive you are when you give up your control. Like that's a great example. If you're speeding and you see a, a freeway or a highway patrol guy, now you're reacting. Your body's probably reacting before your mind does. Your heart starts racing, right? You start having all those thoughts. So I think maybe there's a tie in there, Brad. Like when we give up our control, we are in a default reactive state. I really think that's probably true. I love the the serenity prayer. Uh, it's kind of a 12-step thing. God grant me the serenity to change, to accept the things I cannot change, 
What is it? Hold on. Yeah, it sounds like you really like that prayer. You're so... Hey, I haven't recorded... I haven't, I haven't used this part of me for a month. This is all your guys' fault. There's this Metallica song I really like. What is it again? What's that Metallica song I really like? What, from what is it? God grant me the serenity to accept, accept the, the things, things I, I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So we're talking about proactivity versus reactivity. It's understanding what really is within your control. Which I think is a pretty good. Uh, it's a pretty good spot right here to break and kind of roll into the next episode, because I really want to focus in on how do we accept the reality of things we can't change. Because I think that's where a lot of us get stuck because we're pounding our head against the things that we can't change. They're painful things. They're embarrassing things. They're other people's choices, other people's opinions that we're trying to change. When the reality is we need to develop that muscle that allows us to ignore the things we can't change and focus and just accept them and focus on what we can change because that's where growth happens. I know a lot of us follow into, especially with our kids, you know, if only I could get my kid to do this, 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 and this, then I'll be a good parent. And sometimes, you know, the kids don't want to hear it. In fact, most of the time, the kids don't want to hear it. The, but the kids are watching you. They're always watching you. So how do we pivot away from getting our ch children to behave a certain way and, beha and change our own behavior so that they see this is how a normal, you know, emotionally well-adjusted adult behaves, focusing on our own things. Again, you've got to protect your kids for a, from a certain point from harm but you know we focus too much on protecting our kids from failure and now look at the position where we got a generation of kids that don't know they don't know how to function in the real world again i don't that's not my experience my kids are young enough to where i haven't seen them flame out spectacularly because i didn't do my job but we can see it all around you know i've got so many parents in my office like right now that they are afraid to let, the, like, their kids aren't doing their schoolwork. Their kids aren't doing the things that they need to be doing, even even to fulfill the the kids' own admitted goals, right? right? Um, and I have these conversations with parents all the time. You just got to let them fail. You just got to let them fail. If, if they're not doing their chemistry homework, you just got to let them fail. And they're like, but then he won't be able to get into college, or he'll have to get a GED, or he'll have to do this. I'm like... So, and they can't let go of this idea that they're, oh, it just bothers me so much. We, I, and and you, I'm sure I do it too. Would, and would you say that the issue is that they believe it reflects on them? A hundred percent, yes. And two, it's really, it's, it's selfish in, a, in one way, shape, or form because they know that if their son or daughter fails this class or fails this, that there's going to be consequence for the parent too. And the, and that consequence is well now I've got this moody teenager this this um, heightened teenager that is reactive and angry and frustrated and so they're doing it so that they're codependent they're doing it so they don't have to deal with this other person's emotions it's completely selfish on all fronts I really believe that do you think that's the number one thing that I mean so you so what you're saying because I I'm not sure where I fall in this again my kids are pretty young and my older kids I don't. We've already had this conversation. My older teenage kids, I don't really have much contact with them. So, but you would say that the entire reason, 100% of the time, the reason parents don't let their kids fail is because the parents are worried about how it reflects on them. And they don't want to deal with the 
the aftermath of the failure. Because, I mean, my attitude is they're trying to protect their kids from pain. No, they're not. They're trying to protect themselves from their kids' pain. Mm. But do they know that? Do they really know I don't know think that? they know. I don't think they're conscious no, of that. But no. whether they're conscious of it or not, that's what's happening. Because if they really they really wanted to protect their kid, they let their kid fail, learn the lesson, grow and develop. They're stunting their kid by not. Okay. Right? They're trying to protect themselves from the, their kid suffering pain. Now, that's not a bad thing. I don't want my son to feel pain, and I don't want my son to have to experience that. Yeah, but sometimes, well... Here, here's, here's my thought for that. Right? Just... I always have to ask myself this question. How would, for those of you that believe in God, how, w- how would God parent me? God's going to let me fail and Oh, fail. God would ground me a lot. God, I no. know that. <laughs> but God grounding, would, is, <laughs> grounding is an arbitrary consequence. It doesn't work. Does it? Well, it, it, unless I think it depends on the kid. Well, and, and the infraction, right? If you can tie it naturally to a behavior, then it would work. But grounding my kid for punching in a hole in the wall has no effect whatsoever. That's a stupid consequence. Mm-hmm. Right? Grounding my kid because he's not... He doesn't understand priorities, and so he doesn't do his homework, and he goes out and plays with his friends instead. Well, then that would help him learn that priority. So that would make sense. So how do you discipline your kids? Natural consequences. That's always natural consequence with my kids, which is hard. Give me an I'm example. not good at it. Give me an example. Well, I, this hasn't happened, but this is probably the best example I can think of right now. It, my kids are pretty, I don't want to say passive, but they're not very physically angry. They don't express their anger physically. But let's say one of them punched a hole in the wall. Okay. Right? Natural consequence consequence of that would be he needs to fix that hole in the wall. Okay. Right? And spend the time and energy and money to do that. And now if he can't do that, like my eight-year-old, maybe he can't do that. Right? He's eight-year-old's like taking bids. So, <laughs> exactly. I'm going to sub it out. Exactly. No, that, that's exactly. <laughs> you're, you're not far off, right? No, no. That's, I think that's. I, so I would say, that's all right, buddy. I'll take care of it. Right? So maybe I do it. But then he needs to pay me for my time and for the materials. I will put a bill on his bed. Don't you and bill if, like two hundred bucks an hour? If I don't, if I don't have the time for it, and I have to hire it out, right? He's got to pay for it, right? That's I love that. I I do that all the time with my clients. My kids are pretty. I, I would say pretty well behaved. But I have this one client I've been seeing the family for years, and the teenage boy. He's in college now, but he uh, wouldn't clean his room. And so he just wouldn't clean his room, wouldn't clean his room. He finally got a job when he turned 16 at a grocery store and their bank account was connected to his. And so what I told them is to work this out with him ahead of time, but that if he doesn't clean his, do his little chores or whatever, that it's going to be a $50 a week kind of mom, mom, mom will clean it for 50 bucks. I, I'm happy to. Yes. I, I mean, people too. are lined up wanting to clean houses. And so let someone do it. Right. It can be mom if you don't want other people in your home. Yeah, we got a lady that cleans our house every couple of weeks. So. Yeah. So, and, and it's been the greatest thing that ever happened because the kid still doesn't clean his room, but now he's parting with $200 a month. And everyone's okay with it. And everybody's okay with it. The pressure's off him. There's some things I don't want to do and I don't, I don't, that's I don't a great like to idea. do. And that is so a great he, idea. So he's, the, the parents are happy because the, it, there's no stinky, you know, towels laying on the bathroom floor and uh he he doesn't have to worry about it and he doesn't mind for him i guess he makes enough money that two hundred dollars a month isn't much so he's happy to not be hounded by it and that's a good natural consequence you don't pull your weeds in your hoa you they'll pull it, it they'll pull it for you yep. they'll pull it They're for you with a thousand a thousand dollar bill you know they'll, they'll well, be happy to do and that. the best natural consequences i feel and this is harder for kids to understand short term but long term they get it the best natural consequences are uh, uh, um, the types of consequences that affect relationships, right? So if my son lies to me, 
I can't trust him. And if he continues to lie to me, I want to learn not to trust him. And next time he asks me to go do something, I might say no because I don't trust that you're actually going to go do that thing you said you're going to do. Right? Those are the best teachers right there. They just take a little bit longer than, hey, pay me $100 to fix this wall. Gentlemen, you are the Alpha, and this is the Alpha Quorum. He sent me a text and said, hey, say this when I say this. We should fade out right now. Lesson learned. Show over. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Alpha Quorum podcast. Uh, While we talk about real life and real life issues, we're really just entertaining you and hoping you find some value out of what we're saying. And again, if you need somebody to talk to, please look for a professional in your area or contact us so we can help you find one yourself.